we'll pray and read the word of the Lord. Father, there is something about that name, Master, Savior. And Father, we come now to hear your word. Father, as this text consistently overwhelms me, I pray that my brothers and sisters will be overwhelmed and there will be a clarity of heart, a clarity of conscience, clarity of purpose, clarity of thinking, understanding the simplicity of what you have set before us. Help us, Lord, in all that we do. Walk in the glory of the risen King in a manner worthy of what you've done. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 18, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Uh, I shared with you guys last week uh, a text that is extraordinarily precious to my heart. Uh, if you ever go into my office, you will see behind my where I sit this verse written uh, on, on a plaque. And it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Uh, that verse has a, had a probably the single greatest impact on my life and was staying um, for all the years that I have walked with the king. Um, and, and what I, 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 I try to understand is when I, in this day and this age, we live, um, what is the ministry? I mean, Second Corinthians deals with, okay, now that you've got First Corinthians behind you and you've kind of cleaned it up, now it's time to serve. What is it? What does that mean? And um, I watched the church today in America struggle with the direction and or their statement of ministry or their philosophy of ministry. Uh, what is our ministry? And we ask those questions. Um, and what I've come to conclude is there's no need to ask that question. <laughs> it's... It's really not that complex. Um, as a pastor teacher um, who preaches, um, mine seems really straightforward. It doesn't seem like it's hidden, that I need to go seek some magical, mystical mountain view thing to figure out what my mission is. But what I've concluded is, is that if you're saved, you're in the ministry. All right. And I've never really had a problem 
finding out what that is. And yet, um, these two verses are so clear to what we should be doing. I'm trying to understand why it seems like the evangelical community is doing everything but. Um, And I've shared with you guys that I have this fatal character flaw, and that is that I love history. And um, one of the things that I have noticed is no time, what we are right now, the church, no other time in history has the church looked like what it's doing right now. And, um, and, and I, I can say that with a great confidence because weekly, year after year, I think the first Sunday in June is my 18th or 19th year as the senior pastor of this church. And I can say this emphatically out of all of those years, there's endless barrage of methods and means and strategies and styles and approaches to quote unquote ministry. Um, and I must say, it is extraordinarily confusing. But that doesn't bother me as much as that it is unrelenting. And what happens is with the confusion of ministry, because I hear people saying, well, we have different styles of ministry. We have different ways of augmenting our ministries. And, and, and we can do just about anything in the church right now and call it ministry. And, and I mean, you can get some crazy stuff. I, I remember preaching at a con, our state convention and got in all kinds of trouble because the guy who had gone in front of me had his church share the gospel through ballet. And then I came up next and said, <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> I praise God that God does not save me through ballet because I hate ballet and I'd have never gotten saved. Now, everybody's going to say, he said he hates. See, you just missed what I said. Because I watch people hang all kinds of stuff and call it ministry. I run into a group of guys last weekend. Was it last weekend or weekend before last? Who rode motorcycles on Sunday and they called it a ministry. Uh, I just told my Sunday school class, I want to start an AC Cobra ministry. If I could get you guys to buy me an AC Cobra, I could run around and run into guys who had them and we could minister. But that's that's what I'm trying to get at is that uh, some of this stuff, you just sit there and go, really? And yet the church has embraced it. Absolutely embraced it. Never seen anything like it Um, to the point that I believe the church has missed the essential. The one thing we should be doing, we don't do. And 
It's right here in this text. This passage is ministry. This is it, brothers and sisters. If what you're doing in the name of ministry don't fall in this, you have deceived yourself and the people that you think you're ministering to, you have deceived them too. Okay? Fact is, this text, even in the original language, is a very simple passage. It is not a hard passage. It is not a difficult passage to interpret. It is not a tough text to discern. And you know what is really amazing about this? It is one of the simplest texts to apply to your life. The goal, the priority of our lives is to minister and the goal is the object in this text. It is our responsibility to the world right now in two verses. In two verses. I hear... And it's just this week we were inundated with politicians expressing their faith and the purpose of their faith. And none of them hit this. At all. I don't understand that. And so when you tell me you're a Christian and I don't hear this, you have either deceived yourself or you are a... Deceiver. And I don't care what you call it. I don't care what you do. We are repre- we represent the Lord Christ Jesus. Period. Period. Listen. I'm not the brightest bulb in the package. I'm not the sharpest crayon. But in two verses... I see a word repeated five times. Hello. (laughs) You know, you know, I forgot where I put my PhD, but if I see a word five times in two verses, I'm sitting there going, I wonder if that's the theme. It's all about ministry. And I'm, I'm going to lay this out. I'm going to chunk at this thing. And right now, I'm just going to give you a foundation that I will offend you on for the rest of this two months. It's all about reconciliation. Our responsibility is reconciliation. Do you understand that the heart and soul of Christianity is repeated five times? It's reconciliation. We are called to preach. We are called. And now everybody's going to say, well, I'm not a preacher. Then you proclaim it. We are teaching and admonishing every man. What? Be reconciled. Why? So that you will be perfect in Christ. We have a message of reconciliation. We tell people that they can be reconciled to God. That is our mission. 
That is our ministry. To bring the message of reconciliation to sinners. Therefore we proclaim. Therefore we preach the gospel. We preach the good news of Jesus Christ. When you think about it and you look around right now, okay, and you know, you can turn on CNN, you can turn on Fox News or MSNB, whatever you want to watch. Okay, you can turn on the basketball game. You can turn on the golf game, the hockey, I don't care. Whatever you watch, you look at the people who are there. Do you understand that those people have a relationship of hostility to God. Do you understand that? I don't care who it is. I don't care what they say. They are hostile to God. The relationship is a relationship of hatred. It is a relationship of animosity. And and please, I need to be very specific about this. I'm not talking about, well, the atheists want to take down the Ten Commandments. Brothers and sisters, that is irrelevant. Do you understand that? But the truth of the matter is, you and I have a ministry to have him reconciled to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is easy to run around and say, well, the Taliban do this. and They need to be reconciled to their creator. There's a relationship between God and sinful man. And guess what? It is hostile. It is hatred. It is animosity. And guess what? It can be totally changed. Everyone in this room, at some point in time, stood on the opposite side of the relationship. Do you realize that sinful man is an enemy to God and can be a forever friend? That is the gospel. That is the good news. It is possible for sinners to be reconciled to God. It is our calling. It is our ministry to preach and teach and live a life reconciled with the ministry of reconciliation. Now then, I want you to sit and think for a second because it's easy to get cranky with people. I know that. Yet our greatest single responsibility, our greatest single work in the world, deals with the greatest issue in the world. Our greatest calling, our greatest privilege, is given to us this responsibility. It should be what we live for. It is what we should take our next breath for. It ain't got nothing to do with your kids. It ain't got nothing to do with your grandkids. Your work or your position in life are irrelevant. I don't care about your Yahoo account. I don't care about your Facebook account, who you tweet with, who you text to. Those are all a waste of time. 
We equip the saints for what? To get the message of reconciliation that will reach sinners. That is our calling. That is our purpose. And you know what I was thinking? There is no message equal to that one. Nothing. Well, the church needs to have barbecues. The church needs to have basketball teams or softball teams. Or we need to have a bowling league. Or we need to have, you know, a a little carnival in the parking lot for the kids. None of that's ministry. If the message of reconciliation is left out of it. It it does nothing. It accomplishes nothing. I want to show you some words this day. And then next week, we're just going to keep getting into this thing deeper and deeper and deeper. And I hope I wear you out. At the end of verse 18, you see a word right there. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Himself to Christ, God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us a ministry of reconciliation. You know what the word ministry is right there? It's the root word that we get diakonon from. You know what diakonon is? Deacon. If you go back to the book of Acts, they appointed some deacons to do what? What were they supposed to do? Waiters. Table waiters. We have a service of reconciliation. We are waiters. We bring to the table of sinners the meal of reconciliation. Guess what? That's ministry. Gosh, it kind of loses a little bit of its glory. Because I always thought the minister was like the big kahuna. Now you're a table waiter. And you're taking the meal of reconciliation to a table full of sinners. We serve up truth of reconciliation. Look at the end of verse 19. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You know what? It says he's committed to us. You know what that literally means? The literal Greek translation. He has placed in us. He has placed in us the word of reconciliation. Okay. Now, when I read the word of reconciliation. We preach, we proclaim this word. We live this word. Okay, you know what that term is in the original language? Logos. Logos. Okay, it's different. It's the complete opposite of the Greek word metos. You have logos and you have metos. You know what metos is? You know the word. It's a myth. Metos is the word we get myth from. Okay. Metos means it's fiction. Uh, it's not verifiable. Okay. Whereas logos is truth. 
It is trustworthy. It is genuine. The gospel is true. In the beginning was the truth. Verifiable, genuine. And the word was with God and the word was God. What does that mean? Truth. We, we translate it sometimes logic. Okay, logic is true. It is trustworthy. It is genuine. It is verifiable. Okay. Remember what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth. Right? You got it? You see how that all works? So we have the word of reconciliation placed in us. The gospel is true. So in a world at the writing of 2 Corinthians and a world in which you live in today of religious myths. You know, we like to run around and say, that is the doctrine of demons. That is a cult. That is a sect. It is a myth. It is not verifiable. Go take the Book of Mormon. You know what the Book of Mormon shows you? It is not verifiable. It is not trustworthy. You can see it in the writings of Confucius. I see it in Buddhism. I see it in Hinduism. I see it in that other book that you're not allowed to talk bad about, the Koran. It is not verifiable. It is not trustworthy. So in a world of religious myths, we have been given truth on how man can be reconciled to God. I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man comes to the Father except by me. Why? Because the wrath is myths, stories, stories. So, it is the single most needed message in existence. And, by the way, apart from this message... Men will spend eternity in hell. Gosh, that just seems so mean. But it's verifiable and it's true. It's interesting, don't you think? Let me show you some other things with this word and how Paul uses it in different writers, even Luke. In Acts chapter 13, verse 26. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, among those who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been given. The word message in that text is what? Logos. Logos. So, Logos of salvation. Paul loves this word, he uses it consistently. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay? The word of the cross, the logos 
of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The truth of the cross. Paul writing to the Philippian believers. Philippians chapter 2 verse 16. Hold fast to the word of life. The logos of life. So the message that you and I have is the message of salvation. It is the message of the cross. It is the message of life. It is the message of reconciliation. Oh, did I tell you that it is opposite of the myths that exist in the world? So when the world says that they have the way of life, if it is not biblical, it is a myth. Okay, that is the heart of what Paul does. In chapter um, 1, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. When I see some of the stuff that is being called ministry today, I ask myself a question. Is it void? Because of its cleverness? Ooh. Ooh. Do you see what we've done to ministry now? That has absolutely nothing to do with God's call. With God's passion to in place in each of us. What? The word of reconciliation? The truth of reconciliation? I see stuff out there today that we call ministry that has nothing to do with reconciliation in it. You can't adulterate it. If you adulterate it, then it becomes foolishness and it is no more than a myth. It's, it's one of the things that I see happening that you'll hear people say, we're going to look at a Bible story. No, I'm going to look at biblical historical truth. It is not a story. William Tell is a story. I want to look at truth. Because truth is where reconciliation comes from. Truth of salvation. Truth of the cross. The truth of life. That is reconciliation. The word of cross may be foolish to those who are perishing. But Paul tells you and I that it is still the power of God. Paul was committed, straightforward with the word of reconciliation, with the truth of reconciliation. And yet today, what have we done? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
verse 1. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. He didn't come with some fancy dancy thing. He didn't come with some cleverness or method or scheme or style. In Romans chapter 1, Romans 1 verses 15 and 16. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first. And also to the Greek. See, Paul was committed to one thing. A table waiter of God of the gospel to set it on the tables of sinners. Do you understand that that's what every single one of you has been called to? If you are saved, you are a minister of Jesus Christ. Diakonon. Diak. You're a table waiter. I'm a servant of God. With the message placed in me of reconciliation. And anything you do other than that, you have adulterated what you have been called to. We are called to do this. We announce that man can be reconciled to God. And guess what? That is the greatest news ever heard. And yet we're ashamed of it. There are too many in the body of Christ right now who are ashamed of the gospel. I have dealt with pastors who have perverted the text. And they ask me what can they do better. And I always give them a gift. At one time I had a case of them. It's John MacArthur's book called Ashamed of the Gospel. And I tell you what, brothers and sisters, you know, I've, I've had people tell me that, you know, your message stepped on my toes. Go read that. Okay, that's like having a steamroller run over your toes and then park. Because he shows you the corruption that has crept in and how it has crept in and how easily it is to embrace it. And then all of a sudden you realize that what you have been called to and I have been called to, we ain't doing it. A perfect, infinite, holy, sinless God whose justice must be satisfied or he is not righteous. He is not just. And it is satisfied by the punishment of all who have violated his law. This judgment is cast to helpless sinners who cannot please God 
at all anyway. To a sinner who has absolutely no ability, whatever, to change his or her condition. A holy, righteous God whose justice must be satisfied. And a helpless sinner who can do nothing to satisfy it. Man is in a doomed position. I had a friend of mine who was Indian, not from India. What do we call it? A Native American, which I thought I was Native American. But she used to tan hides when I was really into hunting. She would take, when you, you cut the hide off of it, she wanted you to bring the head because she would take the brain out of the elk and then she did some kind of mixed it up with some stuff and she could take and put it on the skin and literally you would come back with this soft and supple skin that just, wow. And I remember her doing it, my hide one time and she brought it to me and she says, Every animal has just enough brains to tan its own hide. And I thought about that. And I've made a note of that ever since. And I thought, you know what? You leave man alone, he can tan his own hide. And he can do it in the name of Jesus. Man is in a doomed position. And it would seem that this relationship is impossible to change. An infinite, holy, righteous, sinless God. Contrasted to a mortal, vile, naked, depraved man. How can there be reconciliation to that? From man's view... It would be impossible. From God's view, no problem. I will even do it in the foolishness of preaching, in the weakness of this proclaimer, and show you how powerful I truly am. A way to satisfy God's justice, a way to satisfy God's wrath, and a way to appease God's vengeance against sin, and yet I can reconcile this sinner unto me. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. That's real. That is our logos, that is our message. That is our ministry. All kinds of things try to distract us, and they shouldn't. This is the core of everything that we should do. I hear people say, that is music. If the gospel ain't in it, it is noise. 
It ain't a ministry. Well, we can do food baskets or we can do help the community. We, you know what? If the gospel ain't in it, it ain't a ministry. It might make you feel better. The music might make you smile. But the truth of the matter is, there is but one ministry, and it is to reach vile, blind, naked, sinful man, bring the word that has been placed in you, carry it out, and set it on the table in front of them. God can be reconciled to sinners. And to us, God has committed the ministry, the waiting of tables of reconciliation. Preaching and teaching the word of reconciliation. Admonishing and teaching every man to present them complete in Christ. You do that by knowing what this word says. It has been placed in us. This is our calling. This is our ministry. This is all of the focus of all we do, say, and live. One last word I would like to look at this Lord's Day. It's an interesting word. There in verse 20, he says, Therefore, because the committed us the word of reconciliation, reconciling the word. He says, therefore we are ambassadors. Fascinating word. Press buon. Press buon. You know this word. You know what a presbyteros is? Presbyteros, an elder. Presbyteros, elder. Presbyon. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you're all sitting down. The difference between these two words, presbyteros, has nothing to do with age. Presbyteron does. <laughs> Here's the reason. The writing of the New Testament, only the old and experienced men were ever made ambassadors. Because there's a nobility that was to it. This old and aged man, experienced man, would represent his government or his king and all of the philosophies and character of the kingdom and the government. And they were smart enough to know that the young upstarts who know everything now don't know nothing, and you don't want them representing your kingdom and your government. Have you ever noticed that? You work your tail off to send your kids to college so they can become experts and tell you they are. And you realize how stupid they are. And after a while of beating on their heads with little ball-peen hammers, you decide to turn them loose, kick them out of your house, and let them learn that they ain't as smart as they thought they were. And there's 
a little bit of gratification that comes to the parents that says, told you. (laughs) And you don't even have to tell them. You just sort of smile at them and go, okay. (laughs) And you don't want them people in the first start to be the representative of your government or your kingdom. The thing is, is that if they mistreat the ambassador, then they are mistreating the government that he represents or the kingdom that he represents. The ambassador would speak for the government. They would speak for the ruler. They would be literally the king's mouthpiece. But the thing about the ambassador, because they were older and they were more experienced, they realized that they never had their own thoughts. They never was about the ambassador. His focus was always on the king and his kingdom. Now, ambassador's character and virtue would lend weight to the dignity of his government and or his king. But his message was always representative of that government and or kingdom. And his message and his authority was given to him by his ruler or king. For Paul, and in the day of the writing of the New Testament, this was a highly respected position. Um, It is today not so much respected. If some of you were around in 1979, you remember a little incident in Tehran where our embassy, where our ambassador was taken prisoner. And the problem with that had nothing to do with them taking our people prisoner. The thing was is that it was a sovereign attack on the United States that we didn't do anything about. And that would be their view of our country then. History tells us at the writing of this epistle, when the Romans would conquer an area, they would put as many as 10 ambassadors to represent Rome and Rome's interests and show Rome's presence in the conquered nation. So an ambassador is in a foreign land. He spends his life with those who are strange to him. They are of different culture. They are of a different language. They are different lifestyles and different positions and traditions. He lives in this foreign country. In that world, he represents his government, his kingdom, his king. And he is there to bring the message of his sovereign. Paul's using of this word is extraordinarily graphic. Because Paul understands that is his calling as an ambassador of Christ in this lost and dying world. Now, I want you to bring this across and I want you to close with this thought. And I want you to hear me really well. 
Because people have construed some of the things that I've said and they don't understand that I have a biblical passion for the things that I say. I do not believe in a music ministry. I do not believe in a motorcycle ministry. I'm praying real hard for an AC Cobra ministry. I would take that over planning a church in Barbados. Maybe. I told the Lord that I thought I could do both. If he gave me the strength. But I want to be serious with you right now. Because if you are saved today. You are a minister. You are an ambassador sent by God to represent Christ. Here we are in this alien world. We are authoritative spokesmen for the kingdom of God. Understanding that our citizenship is in heaven and that we belong to another. And we have been called to tell the people of this perishing world that they can be reconciled to the king of our kingdom. That is ministry. And anything short of that is a perversion of what you've been called to. I don't care what you call it. I don't care how you address it. I don't care what you want to put on it. If you are not taking the sinful people that are perishing in this world, that they can be reconciled to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you are not ministering. So if you backpedal through what we just looked at, understanding that we are ambassadors for Christ, backpedal it through that we have the word, the truth, the logos imputed into us of reconciliation and that we are doing it as table waiters to sinful man. Anything short of that is not true. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? In light of this day and age and the things that people call ministry. That's the importance of the day. And brothers and sisters, I don't care what's going on in politics. I don't care what's going on in Elections. I don't care what's going on anywhere else on this planet. That right there is the single most important thing that is lacking in humanity today is someone to stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord. Vile, blind, naked, depraved humanity can be reconciled to a holy, just, amazing God right now. That's good stuff, people. That is your and I calling. 
as we go forward. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the amazing things you've already done. Lord, help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, help us to be sensitive to the sinfulness of man. And yet, Father, understand the holiness of you as we go forth in the power of truth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for bringing us together this day to your glory and praise. Amen.